0: Turn with me to James chapter 5. This will be our scripture to use. We've used this in talking about prayer before. We'll start with verse 13, James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. How about that? Not, well, anyway, we'll go there. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing psalms. If anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick will save the sick. That word is a Greek word that means make completely whole in every aspect of your life. will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. Notice it doesn't say the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord might raise him up if he was good or if the Lord's feeling benevolent that day. No, it says the Lord will raise him up. There's no conditions in there unless we don't pray. If he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses, some translations say false, to one another. The word confess just means to admit. Admit your faults to one another. It doesn't mean everybody, but it means to not be hiding. To one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. That word means literally physical healing. And this is the, this is the part of the verse we're going to look at. The effective or effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much now, last time we asked this question of ourselves, and asked for a showing of the raising of hands, but do you really believe your prayers are going to be answered i 'm not answering because before we 're finished, you may want to reconsider your answer, and I shared with you last this came out of a time I was in prayer sometime last year, and I was battling some things physically in my body. It was just one of those periods of time where there are a whole bunch of issues, whether in your body or with, you know, when you've got family, there are issues out there somewhere. And and just stuff. And then there's some decisions I had to make in the church and some issues going on there, and just, you know, and feeling, feeling physically well. And just in here, you know, and going through these things with God and praying and asking God for all the things I know I should be asking Him for or most of them, not all of them. And I was right over here, looking up that way. And I felt the Lord asked me this question, and you understand God never asks questions because He's looking for information. He already knows everything. So He's not asking to find out. He's usually asking so I can find out. He's basically saying, stop and consider this. And He said to me, do you really believe I'm going to answer those? not from the point of view of questioning whether he would. He was questioning whether I really believed when I was praying these that I was going to get them answered. And I stopped in my tracks and I had to be honest and say, no. The Lord says, that's why you're feeling so weak right now, because you don't have any confidence that I'm going to answer your prayers. And so I needed some work to be done. And we went away not long after that and, uh, for just a few days to get some rest. And I went with a purpose of, God, there's something wrong and I've got to find what it is. And he began to take me and show me ways that I had stopped doing things that I knew to do. And as a result, my faith had gotten weak. And we're going to see as we get into this, it's very clear that without strong faith, you're not going to have your prayers answered. Not that God doesn't want to, you won't make that connection with him. The problem is never on God's end. It's always on our end. And so it's, you don't have to blame other people. You don't have to blame God. It's always us. And, and, but that's good because you always know where to look for the answer. If it was God, we're in real trouble. But when it's me, I can do something about that. And I found He'll help me if I'll open and let Him do that. I guess this is my confessing my faults to you tonight. Anyway. So, but it, it was the way of God beginning to deal with me to change the situation in my life and in my prayer life. And I began to ask him, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? And he began to show me some things. And we're going to look at some of those things. But I wanted to go back to a little bit what we were talking about last time because really I feel that the that real essence of this is to inspire us, first of all, inspire each of us with confidence that God does hear your prayers and God does answer your prayers. He hears your prayers and He wants to answer them. But we have to cooperate with Him. And we're going to learn why. We're going to learn why God can't just answer anything that's thrown to Him. We're going to learn why it requires certain things. It's not because God has a checklist and said, you know, Joe, you did the first two, but you didn't do the third one, so I'm not going to answer you. When you get it straight, I'll finally give it to you. It's not like God has His checklists that we have. That's the law. But there's some principles and there's a dynamic that's in prayer that's essential to understand and then it'll be clear why certain things are required because they're the same things that are required when you converse with somebody as another human being, when you communicate with other human beings. So we're going to look at those things. But what we started about last time is understanding this. Now, there's different kinds of prayers. There's a prayer of consecration, such as when Jesus was praying in the garden and said, my my will, but your will be done. That's the only time it's proper to add at the end of the prayer, your will be done. Because if you don't know it's his will to pray for something, then why would you pray for it? But we'll go there another time. There's different kinds of prayer. There's a prayer of consecration where you're committing your life and you're committing your heart to Him. You're making commitments to Him. But the prayer we're going to talk about is a prayer of faith where we go to get answers for ourselves or a prayer of intercession where we go to get God to move in a situation. And the purpose of prayer, the purpose of intercessory prayer, the purpose of the prayer of faith, the purpose of bringing petitions to God is to accomplish results. And that seems so simple, but we don't get it yet. Because if we really understood that the purpose of prayer was to get results, then the way we find out whether the prayer is effective is to what? Look and see whether we got results or not. Thomas Edison, when he was discovering the right material to be used to make the incandescent light bulb, went through, I don't know how many, 4,000 different pieces of material. Some of you may remember better what it was. But if he didn't believe that there was one that would work, he'd have stopped after three or four or five. Some of, us have, you know, some of us may have gone on longer. But he kept going because every time something didn't work, he didn't walk away and say, oh, that didn't work. He said, oh, wonderful, I found out another one that it's not. Why? Because he was determined to get the answer because he believed there was an answer and he was motivated to get it. Now the evidence that we have in our own lives of whether we really believe that prayer is for the purpose of getting results is what do we do when we don't get results? When you pray for something and you don't see it happen, for some of us it's five minutes. Five minutes. For some of us, it may be five hours, for some five days, some five months, some of it may be five, you know, years. That's not many. But in most cases, we don't last long. If we don't see the results, we get discouraged easier. We may not even think it through. We just quit and either go on to something else or just take a sabbatical from prayer for a while and maybe it'll catch up with me later on. That means I didn't believe that the purpose of my prayer was to get answers. Because if my purpose, if I believe that my prayers ought to be answered and they're not, I'm going to find out why. I'm going to find out why. I'm going to persist until I prevail. Well, that's a good term. I'm going to persist until I prevail because I expect there ought to be a result. All right. Now, another aspect of this is that is to ask ourselves, what, start by asking yourself, are you praying? <laughs> and as a result of some of these things, some of you may find that you're motivated. I'm hoping, I believe God's drawing us so that we'll be motivated to start praying again, maybe motivated to pray in a different way, motivated to pray more, motivated because we understand, first of all, God does hear and answer my prayers. Secondly, how critical it is that we pray. Many people pray for all kinds of wrong reasons. I think most people that are praying for the wrong reasons are praying because they feel guilty that they ought to pray. Because we know we ought to pray. I know I'm supposed to pray more than I do. I know that prayer is the key to everything. And yet there's so many obstacles that come along in my day I've shared this with you before. I found when I practiced law, it was easier to pray during the daytime than once I was a pastor in this church. Why? Because I'm at work here, and I'm in here, and whether people bother, by and large, if I'm in here, people don't bother me, but I'll think of something. I'll see a chair that's out of alignment, or I'll see a piece of paper on the floor, and it'll remind me, oh, we need to make an announcement about this, we need to do that, so I'll go and write it down, then I've got to get back into prayer. I tried doing it at home, but it 's just as bad because I think of things that need to be done at home and so there's there's battles and obstacles always pressing in on us so but so sometimes our motive for prayer is just to make ourselves feel better so we 're not guilty because we know we all know we 're supposed to be praying somehow inside we all know that we should pray. Some of you were raised some of us were raised in, in Schools, or no, no, I was not in schools or in churches where I mean it was a guilt trip, and you were told what to pray. You read it out of a book, or you prayed over some beads, or you did some ritual of prayer. And when you did that, you could check it off; you had done your prayer duty for the day. And the problem is, we bring that mentality over into a living relationship with God, and we think that prayer at a certain time of day. Pray in a certain way. Pray for a certain length of time is an obligation that we have. And it is in a sense, but not in the sense that we were raised in school or church to think that we have to do it because somebody's going to hit you across the knuckles if you don't, or whatever the punishment was, even if it was just guilt. And so we have this image that if I don't pray as often as I'm supposed to, if I don't pray the way I'm supposed to, I'm gonna, God's going to get me somehow well, the devil's going to get me somehow. And all of that's focused very subtly about what I'm doing. Now, Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 6, don't pray the way the Gentiles pray, for they believe that they're going to be heard by their multitude of words. What he's saying is their confidence... Gentiles are people that have no covenant relationship with God. Unbelievers is another way we could put it. He says, don't pray the way the unbelievers pray, which means they pray. Because their confidence is in the way they pray. It's in the technique with which they pray. It's in the energy that they put within they pray. It's in something about them... And how they do it, that's where their confidence is. And he says, don't be like them. And then he gives the key. He says, don't you know that your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask? He's saying this, don't look at yourself when you pray. Don't look at how you are pray, whether you're doing it the right way or the wrong way. Instead, get your eyes on who you're praying to and on what He's like. And if He already knows what I need before I'm praying, that means He's already interested in me. He already cares about what I'm going through. He's already watching me. He watching me, so I need to watch Him. I used to, in the morning, get up, especially years ago, I'd get up about five in the morning, and I'd go out and walk. Because if I, at five in the morning, got on my knees, I'd go to sleep. So I went out and walked. I'd walk in the dark, and I had a path I'd walk, a routine that I'd and I spent the first, I don't remember how it was, half an hour, 45 minutes, I spent the first half of that going over all the things I'd done wrong the day before and telling God why it was hard for me to believe He was going to listen to me now. Now, while I'm saying all that, guess who's hearing that? Me. I didn't realize until he finally arrested me about that that I was tearing my confidence down and my faith down. And one day I was dribbling this stuff out (laughs) because in God's ears that's what it is. And I heard inside of me so clearly will you let me be God? And suddenly I saw what I was doing wrong. He said come and talk to me about me and who I am and what I've done for you. And then I was reading a book and discovered Brother Hagen went through the same experience early on. All right. So some people pray to fulfill their religious obligations. For some of us, this makes us feel better, which is kind of a variation on this. Well, I prayed for, you know, 20 minutes a day, or I prayed for half an hour. I prayed for more today than I have in a long time. I feel good about myself. It's very subtly putting confidence in what I've done. And it's not developing a relationship with him and confidence in what he's done. Second thing we looked at is prayer's God's idea. This isn't something we've talked him into listening to, because I think that's somehow the attitude that we may have of him that we got to get his attention somehow. Hey! Respectfully, you up there! Anybody listening? I know Christina shared that a little. Anybody listening? Remember the, the, the old movie Fiddler on the Roof? He's talking to God. He's, are you really there? And we may feel that way, but understand prayer's not getting God's attention. Prayer's God's idea to get our attention to turn to the only answer we have. Now, here's what that means if prayer's God's a- idea and He's telling us to do it, then He's not telling us to do it because this won't work. He's telling us to come and ask because He wants to give. This is the insight that he gave me a few weeks ago I told you about. It startled me. It's so simple. Wait a minute. If God's telling me to come and ask, why is he doing that? He must already want to answer my prayer. He's just waiting for me to ask. So I don't have to get him in the right mood. I don't have to stand in just the right place. I don't have to say it just the right way. I don't have to do just the right thing. He just wants me to ask. You have not because you ask not. That's the first principle of prayer. The, the one prayer I've told you you're guaranteed to never get answered is the prayer you don't make. All right. I want to talk for a minute. We talked a little bit about this last time. Why this is so important now especially. It's always been important. Much depends on this church learning how to prevail in prayer, and this church is you and me. Much depends on it. First of all, there are people even here tonight, and there are others in this congregation right now, or who have close relatives, who are dealing with critical situations. Some of them may be life and death. You may have gotten a report from a doctor that it's, there's nothing they can do, and it's terminal. You may have a house that's on the verge of being foreclosed and you don't see any possible answer. And there is no natural answer. You may be facing an absolutely impossible situation and have no idea what to do. It may be that you've got decisions to make in your life or somebody that you know. And what we tend to do is we run to every other resource, the internet, or, you know, and then we start Facebooking with people and asking their advice. When you ask somebody's advice, I learned this as a lawyer, you ought to find out what references they have. What's their track record? What's their track record for answered prayer? See, I'm reading live biographies of men and of women who got their prayers answered. Because that was interesting. That was Charles Finney's final way he answered these preachers and said, you're doing it all wrong. He said, well, let me ask you this. Which one of us is getting more results? He says, until you start getting more results your way than I do, I'm not changing what I do. So I read stories, life stories, of people that knew how to pray and got results because that's what I want to get. That inspires me. I may learn some things, and usually the Holy Spirit teaches you some things, show you things that you can change and adjust in the way you pray or in in your attitude or just even in your life. Begin to put that into me. So there are people that that if it's not you there may be people that you know or are around you that need you to know how to prevail in prayer for them because you understand it's a lot easier to stand in faith for somebody that when you're not the one that's going through it but when your body's racked with pain or the symptoms are staring you in the face every day it's much harder to stand on this word when that, when you're being bombarded or bar- bombarded with physical evidence telling you it's not working but if you're praying for somebody who's going through that and you're not dealing with those symptoms, it's easier for you to stand and to pray. Yes. So God wants us to learn. He says, pray for one another. Pray for one another. And there may well be a time that's coming soon where this is going to be the critical difference between our survival as a church, or at least are accomplishing all that God's called us to do. I know that's true. We will not accomplish all that God's called us to do until we've learned to prevail in prayer. And if God's calling us, challenging us, wooing us, drawing us, that means He knows it's not too late. But we need to respond and be willing. The eternal... This is the second reason why it's critical that we learn how to intercede and pray a prevailing prayer, prayers that prevail with God to get results. The eternal, eternal, the eternal destiny of untold souls, where they're going to spend eternity, depends on whether we learn to prevail in prayer or not. I'm not sharing this as a guilt trip. I'm just sharing why this is important in God's heart. I'm looking at this from God's heart point of view. Why would He do this now? I mean, we all know how to pray somehow. But why is God calling us to look at the results? Because God's heart sees souls out there that He wants to reach that will not be reached until strongholds are brought down, until people have prevailed in prayer for them. Another reason from God's point of view is God's kingdom and God's will cannot be accomplished in the earth unless people learn how to pray effectively. God's will, God's will, what He wants to do, the establishment, the growth, the glory of of His kingdom here on earth that He wants to do cannot happen here and through us unless we learn to prevail in prayer. We'll learn why. If it's God's will, why can't He just go do it? We're going to learn why. And the final reason, there may be many others. I asked God one day, I said, why, why didn't you find you some other way of getting things done other than prayer? He says, because when you pray to me and you see me move, it deepens our relationship. when you come to God with a situation, especially something that, that is overwhelming, and you call out to Him and you pray to Him and you watch Him move, especially on behalf of somebody else, but even on behalf of you. Or maybe it's you just don't know what to do in a situation and you lack wisdom. And you, I could tell you story after story of what God did with me, not while I was a pastor, while I was a lawyer. And I've shared some of them before. How in the middle of a court trial, when my whole case was thrown out, and I had a whole bunch of lawyers telling, trying to tell me what to do. I couldn't listen to them. I was getting confused, let alone afraid. Went down to the other end of a bench. The judge told me I had 10 minutes to decide what I was going to do. I spent all night preparing this case, which already was hard to begin with. And I get down, I just sat there and said, God, I know you put this case in my lap to help this man. And for some reason, this judge has decided to throw this case out of court and I don't know, why, you know I don't know what to do. I'm getting advice from them. They don't know what to do either but you know so I'm going to sit here and ask you to show me what to do your word says if I lack wisdom to ask of you and you'll give it in abundance and you won't laugh at me or criticize me for asking but I must ask in faith and not doubt so I'm going to sit here and I pulled out a yellow legal pad blank and a pen and I sat there and a question came to me and I knew who to ask it to the judge calls us back in I call this witness up I asked the question, and a whole bank of New York lawyers, because this was out in Tulsa, who would flown in just for this. Top-ranked corporate lawyers jump up, and they all objected at once. I knew I hit a nerve. (laughs) The judge who'd been sleeping, because he'd been trying these cases for over 34 years, sat up, looked at the witness and says, no, I want to hear the answer to this case, to that question. And from that moment on, the judge took over my, my examination of the witness finishes the examination and turns, as I see this case, in a completely different light. I didn't know what was going on. There was a scheme underhand to get rid of my client and to get him out of business so they could take his business over. I didn't know that was going on. With all the discovery and all the stuff we did, that never came out, but the Holy Spirit knew it. What do you think that did for my confidence in my relationship with God? I walked out of that place. You see what God and I did today? It deepens your relationship. But isn't that true of any communication? When Anita and I, if we're not feeling close, what's almost always wrong is we've stopped communicating at a meaningful level. Instead of pass the toast, you know, or what are we doing today? It's, you know, talk about things that's real to us and ask for each other things to do. It deepens the relationship. I want to look now at this scripture, oh my goodness, and begin to get into this scripture and we're going to talk a little bit about what it doesn't say. Now there's some other translations that say things a little differently, but it says the last part of verse 16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now I always thought what that meant was effectual fervent, which means I had to be sweating by the time I finished praying, or I wasn't being effectual and fervent. Somehow I thought effectual and fervent meant loud, long, and strong. And these people that prayed at the top of their voices and shouted and, you know, there's a place for that because it's getting something out. But God's not hard of hearing. In fact, a lot of times... uh, I think he hears the quiet things of our heart more readily than the shouts of our voice. So I looked it up. It's amazing what can happen when you look it up. I want to read to you a couple of other translations. And then I'm going to put a slide up if we have time to finish this. This is the New King James. It says, Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The English Standard Version says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. The New American Standard says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That doesn't give me as much confidence. The literal Young's Translation says, Very strong is a working supplication of a righteous man. That's the literal translation. The New Living Translation says the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. The Amplified, this is the closest to it, says the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Well, if you read this, it says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So that's important to start out looking at this because it tells us what kind of prayer accomplish as much so that if we're praying effectual and fervent prayers it would seem that they ought to accomplish much so the first place to look is are our prayers effectual and fervent effectual and fervent i'm going to put a slide up now because i'm going to give you some uh some words in here and i want you to be able to see them and to write them down i'm going to post these notes on the website the way we did with renewing the mind and, um, whoops, I went past it here. There we go. Okay, we're talking about effectual, fervent prayer. The Greek word, is, effectual and fervent, is actually one Greek word. And it's the word energeo, and actually it's a, that's the root of the word, from which we obviously get energy. And, and you might think that that's talking about the energy with which we pray. I mean, energy drinks are popular out there right now. I'm not sure they're the best things for our health because essentially they're just caffeine. And caffeine will give you energy all right. Mm. But that's not natural energy. Sugar will give you energy. Just ask, you, well, ask the parents the day after Halloween or Hallelujah Night. So the Greek word is energeo energeo and what it means I'm going to give you what the Amplified says it means can you lower the light just a little bit so they can see a little better Amplified says it makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working so it's not talking about how you pray which was be consistent with what Jesus told us not to do right? It's talking about the character of what true prayer does. So what James is saying is prayer, prayer makes tremendous power available. We'll talk about how you exercise it. But prayer makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Well, the word dynamic comes from the Greek word for power, which is dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. It means an inherent power or ability or force to change things or produce results. So James is saying real prayer has in its nature the power to produce results. So he's not talking about how we issue the prayer. This was a revelation to me as I was studying this. Because I've always thought that it's talking about how I pray. But now I realize Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't focus on how you pray. Focus on prayer and what prayer is intended to do. So from God's side, prayer makes His power available, dynamic in its working. I looked up the Greek word in, a, in, a, in one of my more, more sophisticated uh, uh, concordances and it gave several defini- other definitions. The bottom of the bottom is the energeo means here to do what something is used for. I like that. So we're to pray because when we're praying we're using something for the purpose for which it was given to us. I remember, it's God's purpose and God gave it to us. And the last one I'm going to give you, I like this the best, is to perform as expected when operating. So the particular variation of this word energeo or energy implies that it's at work. So when you pray, the power of God is at work doing something what you've asked Him to do. And you've got to see that. You've got to see that with your inner eyes, with your inner mind. You've got to get a picture that when you pray, immediately it begins to work. Because we decide whether it's working, how? We look at the end of the process to see whether we can see the results. And if we can't see the results, we draw the conclusion that nothing's happening. But that's not what the Bible teaches We'll probably look at the story of Daniel. When Daniel prayed asking God to show him something, 21 days later an angel shows up and goes, whew, what I had to go through to get here. That's a loose translation. (laughs) He said, from the moment your prayers came forth, I was dispatched from the throne of God. But principalities and powers fought me. I had to fight my way through them to come down and give you your answer. The point of it is this. Well, the moment he prayed, power was released from God working to produce the results that he prayed. What if he quit after 20 days? The angel would have had to stop. That close? Oh, I was that close, David and Daniel? Just... One more day, I was almost there. Now I gotta go back through this mess. <laughs> Turn with me to first Kings. We talked at this last time. I'll leave that up there in case some of you want to write still write it right down. First Kings seventeen. Oh boy, we gotta hurry along. I'll tell you the story. We talked about it last time. Because what he goes on to say, well, I'll read it here. Elijah, the example to us that he gives is Elijah was a man of a like nature as ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again and the heavens gave the rain and the earth produced its fruit. In 1 Kings 17, you see the story where he said it will not rain again because he was challenging the king of Ahab. It will not rain again until I say so. Three and a half years later, God speaks to him in in 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2, and says, go speak to it and call the rain to come. A number of things happen in the meantime, and then he goes to the top of Mount Carmel. And we talked to you last time, he bowed with his head between his knees. He's praying. He says to the servant, go up to the other side of the mountain, look down towards the sea, and, and you ought to see rain. And the servant comes back and says, I'm sorry, Master, I don't see any results yet. He says, go do it again. So he goes again, comes back. He says, Master, I don't see results yet. Elijah's still praying. Goes a third time. Goes a fourth time. How many of us would quit by then? I mean, there's no evidence it's answered. Six times he comes back and says, Master, there's, there's, there's no evidence out there that your prayer is being answered. He says, go another time. I believe if he had to go every time until Elijah was taken home, he would have still done it. Why? Because Elijah believed that when he prayed, his prayer was at work to produce the results. So he would send that servant until he saw the results. The seventh time the servant comes back and says, well, I saw something. I saw a little cloud coming up out of the sea. It looked like the size of a man's hand. He says, that's it. Stop Stop praying. Let's go, tell King Ahab to get in his chariot because he's going to be sunk in mud pretty soon. Well, that's a nice story out of the Old Testament. But I want to tell you two quick stories because they tie together. A friend of ours from years ago was at a church, the church we had before. And he told this story story was of a baptist pastor didn't believe in healing was raised to not believe in healing that passed away with the disciples and all that stuff but he got a hold of the word of God and actually read it got filled with the Holy Spirit and it changed his whole perspective his wife was pregnant she gave birth to a child and the child was had serious internal issues brain issues Things just didn't form right inside, and the doctors told the mother he probably won't last a day or so. The father, who lived many miles away, got in his car, drove over all night, got into the in, the ICU, infant ICU, stood over the child and says, this child will live and not die, and walked out. That's all they would let him in there to do. Called his daughter the next morning and said, I was up there last night. I prayed and I'm telling you this, the child will live and not die. She said, but dad, you know, no, no, we don't believe that stuff. He said, I said the child will live and not die. Well, the child lived through that day, lived through the next day, began to get a little better. She called her dad to rejoice. He said, that's fine, but I told you the child will live and not die. I don't remember all the details anymore. It's been so long, but the story, the child began to turn in for the worse. got worse and worse and worse and they called the mother in one time and said, you know, you better come in because this is it. The child is dying. There's no way medically this child can live through the night. She called her father up in desperation He said, You said he'd live and not die. He said, This father told me with clenched teeth, with every, all the energy it took within him to do it, and all his emotion. It's his daughter crying on the other end of the line. It's his grandson in that hospital dying with no hope. And all he has to hold on to is, I prayed in faith. And he clenched his fist and he said, I said he'll live and not die. And he hung the phone up. She hung the phone up to go into the bedroom to get dressed to go out. And this is what she said. I walked into the room and there was a man standing in my room and the top of his head was into the ceiling. He was glowing. He looked at me and says, the child will live and not die. And disappeared. Change that Baptist girl quickly. Not only the child lived that through the night, he got better and better and better. At the time I heard the story, he was a healthy seven-year-old, and by now he's grown up and matured. Well, that's a nice story. About seven years ago, family in our church went through the same thing. The child inside the mother's womb was told that may have Down syndrome, that there's a hernia inside so that the organs are not growing where they're supposed to grow, they were encouraging to abort. She said, "I don't want to do that." We prayed over this. There was a word given that 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 the, that it was not going to be Down syndrome. There was prayer about that, and 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 the child was born, and, and everything was the way in the organ wise, the way they're all one side. And they said, "We've got to operate." So they operated, and you know, and, and they said, "But well, we really don't think there's much of a chance." And I went in on a Friday night and shared this story with them and prayed with them. And they were encouraged. Prayed over the baby to live and not die. I went home. I was not senior pastor at that time. I was the associate pastor, but the senior pastor was away and I was scheduled to preach that Sunday. And I go to bed Saturday night. Everything sounded fine. The phone rings. When a pastor's phone rings at 1.30 in the morning, it's usually not good news. I didn't get out there in time and somebody in our, in our um, uh, pastoral care division had called to leave a message with me. I th- said, I think you need to know that the family just got a call. They're all called in because the child will not make it through the night. It's was 1.30 in the morning. I had to preach in the morning. What am I going to do? Thoughts start bombarding my mind. You lied to them. You their, you built their hope up. You told them that this child was going to live the night down. Now see what's going to happen. What are they going to think of you? What are they going to think of the God? What are they going to think of the world? And I'm, oh, it's beginning to get to me. I'm just praying in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, an anger rose up in me. It says, Wait a minute! wait a minute, I know that voice. That's not God's voice. That's the devil's voice. I said that child will live and not die. I got in the car and drove down there. The fact that I could get into there was a miracle. I'm standing at the doorway, looking in. I can't get in the doorway. And they're going to, they're rustling around trying to know what to do. And the grandmother saw me. And she opened the door and said, bring him in. All I did is get a hold of them. And I said, this child will live and not die. That's all I know. Don't give up on your faith. And they took the child by ambulance to go to Boston, to Children's Hospital in Boston. I got a call the next day. They, they said the doctors couldn't believe it because every mile on the way up, this baby getting better and better and better and better. He's a healthy seven year old in this church today. It came back to me because a couple of weeks ago we had somebody going for surgery. And some of us got together, the elders got together and prayed for him. I know many other people did too. Came through the surgery fine and then a few days later started getting complications and it's been one battle of complications after another. And I got a bad report the other day that was put in the ICU because there was more complications. So I just started praying again. I said, God, you know, please heal him. Please don't let him go through any more complications. And I was going through this and all of a sudden the Spirit of God arrested me. I said, what did you pray to begin with? said, you prayed the first time you prayed for his recovery would go smoothly and he would come through it fine. Why are you coming back to me for something you prayed for me already? Go back and and assert that prayer. Stand on what you prayed again. And it woke me up. I thought if I kept praying it over and over again, somewhere one of it's going to hit. But I went back and stood on what I'd prayed before. And I'm sure other people did the same thing, but I just know what I did. And I said, no, I don't care what I hear. I don't care what they're saying now. This cannot turn out bad because we prayed and you heard our prayers. Now you got to do something. And devil, you can't get in the way because we've already put you off track to this. I got a report before I left church today that out of the, they're coming out of the ICU. Prevailing prayer doesn't let go. Why? Because it knows that the moment I prayed, that prayer began to work, whether I saw the answer or not. See, the devil knows us so well to know that if he interferes long enough and causes enough of delay, he knows most of us are so weak in faith, so sensory, we'll quit, and then he's gotta he can back, he doesn't have to back off. But if we determine because I know it's God's will. I'm going to stick with this thing. And if, if we've, I've learned from George Mueller, there are people on his deathbed. He said, well, they didn't get saved yet. He says, yes, they did. I just haven't seen it yet. I'll meet them in heaven, but I haven't seen it yet, because they're going to get saved even after I go. I'm going to teach you how to pray God's word. Because he says about his own word, I watch over my word to perform it. He said about his, about his own word, it, does, it will not come forth... And return to me without accomplishing what I sent it to do. And that means his words on our lips will not go back to him until they've accomplished what we sent them to do. Elijah was a man just like you and me. And he prayed. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And it rained when he prayed and released the rain again. And the Bible says, we ought to be able to do the same thing because there's no difference between him and us. He's not saying to us, look, that was done by a special man and you can read it to see what a wonderful man of God he was. No, using that to show us what we can do and we ought to do if we just believe that he is, our prayers are working from the moment that we issue them and send them forth. Elijah was a man just like you and me. And I'll leave you with this last thought. Because we'll, we'll talk about healing at some point. I had to go through and do my own study on it so that I could believe it myself some of you need to do that don't just read what other people say don't just read scriptures other people do let God put scriptures together for you because he knows what you need and I did that and going through things I suddenly saw something I can show you the notes they're so old from when I wrote them down in the back of my Bible do you know Jesus never criticized anybody for believing too much He never said to them, Oh, 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 you're just one of the average disciples. Or, Oh, you're Peter. Oh, no, you're not like me. You, no, no, that's too much for you to ask for. He never, ever told them they were believing too much. The only time he criticized them is when they stop believing something that they started believing. Peter walked on... That was Peter's idea, not Jesus's. He walked on water. And when he sunk and Peter, Jesus got him back in the boat, Jesus didn't say, it's your fault, you idiot. Why did you come out there and try to do something that's beyond your ability? No, he was, he was so excited that he had somebody who would step out of a boat just because he said, come, and he said to him, why did you quit? You were doing it. So there's no possible reason that God could criticize you for asking too much. But we have ample evidence that He gets upset at us if we ask too little because it's a direct reflection of what we think He's like. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight that You do hear and You answer our prayers. Holy Spirit, begin to open our eyes to see the things that You want to do in us and through us, open our eyes to see the potential of what you dream and what you want to do and all you're waiting for is your people to come to you and pray sincerely expecting you to do what you've told us you want to do already. Continue to inspire us and draw us with a confidence you hear our prayers and you answer our prayers for which we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.